Welcome to the Respective Solutions Podcast. Our mission at RSG is to create safe learning environments and support school professionals through resources that make a difference in education. I'm John Lewis, the host of the podcast, and we will be getting to know our Adams County community partners and discuss issues relating to the prevention of youth violence, as this is the Collaborative Violence Prevention Initiative. This podcast is being brought to you by Pennsylvania Taxpayer Dollars. Welcome to the podcast. Today we have Dr. Julie Falk, who is a mindfulness guru for our area here in Adams County. She's a PhD in psychology, and we're really happy to have her here to help us understand holistic practices and holistic services and really understand what it is that she does to help people increase their success in their lives, reduce anxiety, all those things that we now going through this pandemic have learned about in terms of the word mindfulness. And I know there's still a lot more to know, a lot more to do. And Julie is here today to help us understand all those things so that we can maybe connect in some way, maybe take part in some some activities. I really think she has a lot to offer and obviously has been doing some great things in the community. So welcome, Julie. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. I'm, I'm glad you're here. I would like uh, our audience to get to know you a little bit better. So can you tell us a little bit about you? Sure. Well, I'm Julie, and I guess when I think about, you know, that's, that's a big question. Who am I? Right? That's the one we're okay. all after. <laughs> yeah. See, that's a psychologist. That's a <laughs> yeah. psychologist in you. Yeah. Well, I started out, actually, I think of myself primarily as a nurse. I had a 30-year-plus career in nursing, and I still have an active license, you know, in that amount of time, I did mostly physical care for people. I was always based in hospitals for the most part. So you can't help but realize how intertwined body and mind are. You know, that suffering is really an integrated activity. It's, it's physical, but there's also a lot of mental component to it. So, you know, my nursing background um, gave me a lot of insight into that. But then in my own personal life, I ran into some very hard times after a divorce about 20 years ago. And I really had a hard time bouncing back from that. I sought out therapy and I had a very wise uh, therapist who suggested to me that I look into reading The Power of Now, you know, because I was sort of stuck looking back. That's one of my favorites. Yeah. It is. Yeah, it was a gateway for me. It just changed everything so quickly to change my perspective, you know. And so I got really interested in mindfulness. I was still working in the emergency room. And I, everything just started to gradually get better. And I studied it more and more. And then I, got, I went up to the University of Massachusetts uh, Medical Center and got training as a mindfulness-based stress reduction teacher, which took me about four years to, to get that certification. And then I kind of knew that that was what I wanted to do. So through um, some contacts that I had at Wellspan, started, uh, got some grant money, and we're, we were doing some work with patients who had congestive heart failure. I was working with a nurse practitioner, Joanne Smith, that some people might be familiar with. And uh, we worked with a group of her patients that were so stressed by their physical condition. You know, we were able to demonstrate that it 
made a difference to them. We were able to demonstrate it a little bit with objective data, but an awful lot with qualitative stuff that people were telling us. This has changed everything. They felt about it the way I felt about it. So um, I've been doing it ever since. I've been teaching mindfulness-based stress reduction, or MBSR, for the last 10 years here in the community through various means, but mostly through the auspices of the Gettysburg Hospital Foundation. I've been able to offer uh, MBSR to the community twice every year for free, which is huge. If you were to go to a major medical center and take that, of course it would cost, right now it would cost $650 per person. And here we're giving it away Mm -hmm. because of the Gettysburg Hospital Foundation. So um, I've actually worked with a couple of hundred people here in the county and and in the surrounding area. And of course, you know, through that, uh, MBSR is an eight-week course so that it helps people change their mindset. It's not a one-and-done kind of thing. Uh, You have time to, to... develop insights, to learn practices, develop some new ways of coexisting with your difficulties. So some of the experts talk about 30 days to change a habit. So you have eight weeks to to work on certain things. Mm -hmm. Do you see, while we're on the subject, do Mm -hmm. you see after that eight weeks, is there any follow-up or do you have contact with people to, to say that these things are still in operation in their lives or growing? Well, at the end of the eight weeks, I always do you know, some feedback, some uh, course evaluation, and a large percentage of them say that uh, they're going to continue the practices. And I have continuing contact with a lot of them through my yoga teaching, because I teach mindful yoga at the Y. And so I I have a lot of them that I I touch into, you know, frequently. And uh, if every time I have a, a new offering, you know, I send it out to all my older students as well. So, I, you know, I have a good sense. I think a large percentage of them take something away from it that's useful to them in an ongoing way. I don't think in our experience growing up in our educational systems, et cetera, that there is, that there is much in this particular realm that we train and teach people to to take a look at and look inward, uh, work on some of these skills to reduce anxiety or whatever it might be. Do you think that's the case? Uh, I'm not the expert here. That's why Mm. I'm asking that question. Do you think that that's the case? Well, I think there are a lot of things in our culture that sort of work against the idea of being mindful. You know, we place a high value on multitasking, we like instant fixes for things. And mindfulness, you know, asks a little bit more of you than that. It's a, it's a, asks you to change your way of... It's a discipline. It's a discipline, and it asks you to change your way of relating to your experience. Um, so, you know, it's not something that you achieve in a half hour or a weekend. It, it takes... Well, it's a lifetime. Well, really, yeah, yeah. Really, yeah, it's a journey. Yeah. But I also, I don't want to make it sound impossible. I also, you know, remind people that in my own experience, it doesn't take eight weeks for it to start to help, you know. And when you're desperate, feeling a little bit better is a big deal. 
Now, as, as we do this, the term holistic comes to mind. How do you define holistic in your work? Yeah, well, it's a little bit of a moving target, I guess. I think I like the definition that, that Healthy Adams County and the Community uh, Wellness Connections uses, where you consider mind, body, spirit, and community. There are all different configurations of what makes something holistic. Some of them have six parts, and some of them have eight parts and 12 parts. But mind, body, spirit, community kind of works for me, and it's easy to remember. I think most people probably know intuitively that when they're sick physically or when they have pain, they feel anxiety. I think people may not be quite as aware that for people who have depression and anxiety, there's often also a physical component to that. You experience it in your body. We, we sometimes talk a good show about, uh, in our culture, about being holistic, but we still have a, a strong tendency to separate things out. You know, we go to one doctor for this part and one doctor for that part, you know, and maybe a chiropractor or a massage therapist for other parts. And what would be really helpful is if we come up with something that kind of integrates all of those efforts. Absolutely. That's yeah. exactly where I am. And the community piece of it, too, is, you know, we think of meditation and mindfulness as very internal, but um, it's also really important to remember that community is a really important part of being human. Sure. And when we're lonely or isolated um, or, you know, by whatever, whether it's bullying or just physical distance, uh, so, that's going to affect your health. I noticed that you had a website called mind the moment and in there were several kinds of topical areas yeah different modalities yes and and can you address those i think um if you were to go to somebody for an integrative assessment you know you would be looking at a broad range of things you would be looking at uh what what are their physical needs what is their nutrition like how well do they sleep um what is their stress level like and uh, probably some maybe financial needs, you know, some other things like that. Um, people who come to me typically are looking to work with the stress part. And, you know, the name of the course is Mindfulness and Stress Reduction. So um, in looking at working with stress, you know, one size doesn't fit all there either. But some things that are helpful are uh, meditative techniques, and there are quite a few. There are there's breath work. Uh, there's training your attention. I guess it would be helpful to say what is mindfulness. Mindfulness is the ability to pay attention in the present moment without judgment or without a lot of reactivity to what's coming into your experience. Yeah, we really need that, don't we? Yeah, 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 <laughs> we do, because that, yes. Yes, that's really hard. So that sounds like really simple stuff. But if you look at the way that we go through our day, I mean, half the time we're not really present. You know, we're, we're in a reverie about what comes next or what already happened, and we're not really present. We're not really tuned into our bodies in a subtle way. And that's the, what's happening in the body is just a fantastic early warning system for stress being present. And we certainly have difficulty not being reactive. 
I think that's the big gift of the mindfulness and stress reduction course, is really parsing out the reactivity that we have to things in our lives. And I always take that back to, it's kind of like the serenity prayer. Uh, you know, you, to, you deal with the things that you can deal with. You deal with the things that have easy solutions. But the stuff that's really hard for people is the stuff that doesn't go away. It's the troubled relatives, the troubled relationships. It's the diagnosis that they didn't want to have, but now they have it forever. <laughs> you know, um, it's not enough resources. That doesn't go away in a hurry. So how do you coexist uh, peacefully, or at least a little more peacefully, with the difficulties that are long-standing? Covey came to my mind in terms of the, you know, the areas of influence and your areas that you can control. What can you control? You help people identify those areas. And then even those long-standing things that, you know, are chronic, you may have some influence with them and you may not, but they still exist and you still have to deal with them one way or the other. Right, and you have to figure out how big of a chunk are you going to let them take out of you. That's that's an amazing an amazing uh, statement. <laughs> how <laughs> much of a th- thing. Yes. Yeah. That's yeah. the whole thing. That's incredible. Uh, if you can't change them, how can you coexist with them without them really really hurting you? So that's what we really work on okay. in, in the, the last half of those eight weeks. And the practices that we do, the, the meditations, and there are two or three different forms of meditation. And we do moving meditations, walking meditation, and yoga, gentle yoga. Um, tai Chi would be another good one uh, for that. Uh, so all of that gives people a number of tools to soothe themselves right? So that when a stress reaction starts, they can soothe themselves a little bit better. And then, you know, take a pause and, and really be able to assess, is this something I really need to react to? Sometimes the things that we react to so badly, you know, we're reacting out of our own history, uh, kind of like trauma. You know, we react out of our historical experiences. <laughs> My mother's name is Rita, and I have channeled Rita over the years, every now and then. <laughs> and some of that's not good, you know what I mean? So, yeah, I get that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so when you get, you know, after you soothe yourself and you find a way to get a little pause, you can assess, what am I really reacting to here? Am I, is my life really in danger? Is my whole... Uh, identity really threatened or am I just hearing Rita in my head right (laughs) that's it right Uh, (laughs) you know and I can you know by take getting a little distance between myself and the difficult experience then I I can I can start to to take the sting out of it and over time it really resets your reactivity level most of what I've been doing is working with violence prevention relative to youth and focusing on social media. Understanding what you're doing, how can these strategies that you're talking about be preventative? Well, they could be pre- preventative really at either end of the spectrum. You can work with children to teach them mindfulness skills, to teach them how to soothe themselves, not to be reactive in a way that helps them to 
help to teach them a little more resilience, a little more self-regulation through mindfulness. That prevents damage, you know, for them further down the line. But by working with parents and grandparents, um, we can also help people learn to parent better, to parent with more patience, to actually be present with their children and not be reactive out of their own past history. I'm sure that in your work you've seen how the history just keeps repeating itself. Absolutely. From generation to generation. You know, and I think um, by working with children, but also by working with adults, we're kind of coming at it from both sides. Sure. And, and when I referenced Rita earlier, <laughs> one of the things that comes to my mind was parenting. That's where she would uh, manifest in there early, early as a parent. I had to get her out of there sometimes. It's like, that's amazing how those things come to us just because of the way you know, we grow and learn from the adults around us as children. Those relationships are extremely important to help us see the next steps. And that's, that's the kind of connection I wanted to make with what you're doing because of working with kids and teaching those self-regulation activities, whatever it might be, their lives could improve. Yeah, uh, we're mostly in our parenting and in our relationships at home and with our children, we're, we're not conscious of all this stuff. I mean, nobody's really doing it on purpose. Right. Uh, but we're not, we're not conscious of the dynamics that are present just because of our, of our past experience. And by training in mindfulness, we start to make the unconscious conscious. That makes uh, all the difference. That may be scary for some people. It can be. It can be. To be genuinely mindful takes more than an ounce of courage because we practice not avoiding things. We practice facing in to the thing that scares us and watching it with mm -hmm. a little bit of objectivity, getting a little space between ourselves and the scary thing so it loses the hold that it has over us. Would I be correct in saying that sometimes, let's say Tuesday, you have a horrendous day, some things aren't working out, you're filled with anxiety, you go to bed, and the next day when you get up, some things that you thought would never go away, the problems that you thought were just unbelievable, the next day, they weren't necessarily as great as you thought they were. Yeah, I think that's a pretty common experience that people have with anxiety. Mm -hmm. We build up a huge case about, you know, how bad something is going to be, put all this energy into dreading it. And, that and then all of a sudden it's over and, hey, that was okay. And that's one of the issues with social media, I, I find, in, in working in the schools. When I went to school, if there was an issue, you had, I don't know, 12 hours or more to forget about it and let things reset, as it were. Or on a Friday, you had the entire weekend to let that reset. And often, you know, people would forget or it wasn't that much of a deal, so go on to the next thing. Social media creates this environment where it's constant. It's always there. And I'm thinking about kids, but it's always there for adults as well. Yeah. I mean, people now look at clicks and feedback and all those things, and they start to define themselves by how they're rated on social media. And kids, especially when they're still forming their personalities and their character, all those kinds of things. 
they never get a rest and they never get that reset as long as they're in in the social media world. And that's really concerning to me. Do you run into that in, in what you do at all in speaking with parents? I feel certain that you're right. I can't say that it has played a huge role in the populations that I've worked with because they tend to be older. Just even from looking at my own children's experience, you know, I think you're absolutely on the mark mm -hmm. about that. Uh, you know, I'm working with kids. I mean, they come into school and they're tired and, they're, and, and you find out that they've been either playing games all night long or they're, you know, talking with their friends till the wee hours of the morning. It's another planet for us. And it certainly is for them in terms of their building of their own sense of self and, and their ability to, to reset to deal with that anxiety. You know, the sun will yeah. come up for them, but it never ends. Anxiety is, you know, it's a tough nut to crack. Mm -hmm. It is. I think of all the people's difficulties that I work with, that is in some ways the hardest one because it tends to be very persistent. Just to knock it down, to knock the, uh, the virulence of that experience down a percentage is, feels so much better. And, and that whole thing, I think, is really under the microscope right now based upon almost the second year anniversary of the pandemic. Um, the anxiety that is worldwide and certainly the anxiety that kids feel who don't have necessarily the control of their environment and their world. And they're, they, all the, the spooky things that they hear and the things that they manifest in their, in their dreams at night relative to this boogeyman that's in the closet or under the door called COVID. And all of the things you see and hear on the news about you know, people on ventilators and the running case numbers on the screens and all those kinds of things creates a tremendous amount of anxiety for everyone. Are you seeing that in your practice? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, COVID has been, has been really difficult, partly because of the isolation that it's imposed on people. And that's certainly been the case for kids as well. Sure, you know, they absolutely. They haven't really been able to do so many of the, the things that, that they need to do for developmental reasons. So w where do we go? What do we, how, how do we do this? <laughs> I know that's a big thing. Boy, it sure is. I guess I feel like the role that I personally could play would be just to work with parents and teachers because that's the area that I'm the most experienced in so that they could be better with the kids. And, and guide them to the, those areas yeah, that, that need improvement. To, and it would be very nice if people were open to some of the resources. One of the things that you run into when you talk about mindfulness and meditation uh, in our current polarized society is some concern that uh, some people have that it's uh, it's Eastern, it's foreign, it's religion, and they, they're a little leery about having that introduced to their children. So how do we bridge that gap? Well, there are still lots of organizations and institutions that do teach Buddhist meditation and Buddhist philosophy and thought, and they're, they're pretty overt about that. And they have a belief, though, that the ability to be mindful is a universal human ability. It's not necessarily a religious thing. It's not necessarily tied to a religion. It certainly can have religious connotations in some societies. But when the work that I do, and an awful lot of the secular 
groups that work with mindfulness, you know, here in the United States and, and in the Western world in general, they've really taken any religious language out of it. We call it stress reduction. You know, that's pretty generic term, but, uh, you know, rather than calling it meditation even. So we make a concerted effort to approach it from that sort of universalist, holistic perspective. And sometimes I'll remind people, though, even in that context, that all the great religious traditions have a contemplative factor in them. You know, there's contemplative prayer and centering prayer. And so it's not, uh, it's not really a strange thing in Christianity either. So I want them to feel comfortable that it may actually make them more comfortable in their spirituality, whatever they choose That's true. as spiritual for them. But, but I, think, I think if people took a step back and really thought about it, they would see that they do this on varying levels by themselves even, without understanding that they're doing that. Whether it be trying to relax uh, from having an anxiety-producing day, what is it that they do? Some of those habits are probably very negative. You know, they get oh, yeah. themselves into difficulty, mm -hmm. you know, self-medicating, whatever it might be. Absolutely. But then people go, I'm going to go to the gym and work out, or I'm going to run, or I'm going to fish, or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something, or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to color, you know, or whatever it might be. I'm going to write in my journal. Yeah, and they're, they're moving in that direction without even realizing it. So, so if they can harness that, that same energy, call it whatever you want. Right. But, you know, if you're harnessing that energy for your own good... That's all to the better. I think that's very important for people to yeah. understand that that's a great first step even, that they're doing it. Yeah. But I, but I would like to see uh, venues for, for kids to, to learn more mindful skills, more self-soothing skills. I have to agree. I think that's ex essential. And, and particularly now, I think if you went into any school in America at this point, they, they'd say anxiety level is very high. Yeah. And we have kids who are not uh, connected to school for a year and a half or so. And in, in the traditional sense, with the relationships they build, youngsters that are just don't even know how to do school. And that's causing tremendous anxiety for everyone. So, uh, you know, we're, we're in a heap of hurts right now with all this sort of thing. And so the kinds of help and, and safety that you could provide for people, I think, is, is uh, absolutely very important. I wish we had, like you said, I wish we had places and areas to go to, to do that, uh, to understand more of that. We get caught up in our day-to-day, -day mm -hmm. and we don't give that enough ear, enough service at all. So how do we do that? Well, Healthy Adams County uh, and the Hospital Foundation, as I said, have been really good about making that available to the community. And, of course, they never dropped a beat when I had to go online. You know, we went from in-person classes to everything online, and they just kept it going that way. So I have, I'm very grateful for that. I think, actually, that we it would be nice. I, I have a colleague named Lori Stover, and we have sort of a dream of um, having some sort of coalition of mindfulness and holistic wellness teachers, you know, that... Um, that, that tries to, to hit more of the gaps in the community for this kind of thing. Oh, that's, that, that's exactly what we need. 
Absolutely. And that's that's what I was trying to, to hear from you. That's great. <laughs> I'm glad you said that. That's that's fantastic. Well, we, we, we've been sort of brainstorming about that. There, there are lots of places that would, that would get behind it, I'm sure. The YWCA has been great about teaching people skills and everything that they need to know to be uh, to, to be have more well well-being uh, the Arts Council is another place that's always been supportive of any kind of effort so the, like the, there are many layers in our community yeah. where this is possible yeah and I think the uh, then if we wanted to take it down you know into younger age groups uh, some of the groups that you work with um, your own organization but CFY uh, Lori and I did a thing for um, preschool teachers and caregivers uh, what do they call that the is it Bridging the Gap program yes. that they do every mm-hmm. year? Well, we, we did a, a presentation for them. It was real well received. And recently, we even went and did one for the state police. Oh, that's great. Yeah, so uh, there's all sorts of people out there that really need stress reduction. Well, and this is the area that we assume we're <laughs> yeah. okay with as human beings. That, that we're, you know, we get up in the morning, we do the next thing. We get up and we do the next thing and, and we go about our business. And But this is something a little bit different that we need to pay attention to, that in the world of all the stressors and, and things that we have to do, the you know meeting your deadlines and sometimes the struggle to get up and, and get to work on time. And so we need to have this layer of strategies, this layer of assistance to to really help us better our lives. I mean, it's it's evident. I mean, that's the thing. We tend to call it self-care because yeah. people aren't quite as resistant to that. And that's what it is. It's, it's self-care. Now, I saw some of your... Uh, videos on YouTube. So you have a YouTube channel there. I do. Those are, uh, you know, when I started teaching mindfulness, I think we were still using cassettes, you know, for guided Hmm. meditations. And pretty quickly, I had to start handing out CDs. So I had to make my own CDs for guided meditations. And then I started making memory sticks, you know, little USB sticks. And then with the pandemic, I, I had to go to YouTube. You know, so that it's great. People could access it from home. So it's really homegrown uh, stuff. Well, you know, it would be great to have you back to talk specifically about some of the things that that we hit today because it's so it's so deep. You know, the fact that you have a nursing background really have that physiological connection yeah. to the behavior, and and that's that's a huge huge perspective, and it would be great to. Just have a session on how, how do these things really impact your body and thus your everyday living, quality of life, and your health. Well, I'd be happy to do that because yeah. it's, it's, it's a big story. It's huge, yeah. yeah. And, and uh, I'm not sure we're quite aware of it. We're, we're getting there, but we, we need to be more aware and, and, and how, we, how we can deal with those things. So how does our audience get in touch with you if they have questions or want to hook up with your classes? Uh, well, I have um, a website, mindthemoment.org, and uh, I always keep that up to date with whatever the next courses are. I have another round coming up probably in March, starting in March. And um, anybody's, uh, my, I have a, an email there. People are welcome to uh, drop me a line if they have a question or if they you know, want me to do something for a group that they're that they're involved in. Um, so that's probably the best access. Okay, great. Um, One of the things I always do is have people do a little bit of a call to action, if you want to call it that. So if you had a call to action, 
What would it be relative to mindfulness? I'd say start to pay attention to your breath. Just a couple of times a day, even. Um, take a minute, you know, just to stop whatever you're doing and pay attention to your breath and notice what you're holding, what's riding on your breath. Are you all wound up? you know, and your breath is shallow and rapid, or are you perhaps more relaxed and your breath is smooth? And it'll give you a little opportunity if you find that you're wound up to release a little bit of that. But uh, that's a good starting place just to take, you know, three times a day where you just breathe for a minute. That's outstanding. With awareness. <laughs> that's great. That's a great call to action. I want to thank Dr. Julie Falk for being with us today. Again, you can find her at mindthemoment.org. She's there and certainly would want to help you in any way that she could. Thanks again, Julie, very much. You're very welcome. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. You can find out more about the Respective Solutions Group on the web at www.respectivesolutions.com. You can also find the RSG podcast series on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts.